remember your words that spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Lord, we pray that you would open up our eyes to see wonderful things from your word this morning. We pray that we would be among those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. And we know, Lord, unless you build the house, the laborers labor in vain. So, Lord, be with us in a very special way. As your word is open, Lord, may uh, it find, may you find hearts that are willing to trust and obey. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So I don't know, um, I forgot to ask, but in our church we usually stand for the reading of God's Word. So if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be um, starting with Isaiah 53, verses 5 to 6, but I will be referring to a number of Scripture texts this morning. So Isaiah 53, 5 to 6, and I'm going to be quoting from the NIV uh, this morning, but it's okay, it's very close in the ESV. Hear God's word to you this morning. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Now that's, we just heard, the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. And notice what the prophet says. All of us have gone astray like lost sheep. Each of us, just in case we missed it the first time, all of us, each of us has gone to his own way. But notice, the Lord has placed on him, that is, the Lord Jesus, we saw it earlier, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lord has placed on him the iniquity of us all, the sins of us all. So that means, and when you really take a look at the text, we all were lost. Do you notice that? All we like sheep. That means those of us, uh, and I'm among the, that company, who despaired of any true meaning of, in life, any true satisfaction, any true fulfillment, so we tried to drown ourselves in immorality, in alcohol, drug abuse, and all other kinds of forms of escapism. We want it out. We know about those more, what we would call gross sins. But it also means those of us who tried to live a good life as they defined it, on their own terms, without God, Proud of their own accomplishments, their own efforts, their own abilities. Deceiving themselves into thinking. You know how many times the Bible says, do not deceive yourself? <laughs> deceiving themselves into thinking that any works of their own could make up for their utter failure to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, you don't need all 600 and some odd laws in the Old Testament to show you you're a sinner. Just take the two greatest. And be honest with yourself. Like, you know, when you're in bed and it's quiet and you're thinking through things and you're a little more honest with yourself, have I loved the Lord my God with all that's in me all day today? And have I actually loved others the way I love myself consistently? 
Johann Schroeder once put it this way, one of my favorite of all time quotes ever. He says this, The cross has revealed to good men that their goodness has not been good enough. Isn't that true? Well, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts it this way in Galatians 2.21. I don't set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What Paul is saying is, when you say or when you think that you could earn your way, you could merit your way, then you're looking God the Father in the eye and saying, you didn't need to send Jesus. You wasted your time. No, the only hope that we have as lost, as lost sinners is in the fact that Jesus took the judgment that our sins deserve. That along with his resurrection, spoken of also in Isaiah 53, by the way, that's the good news. And that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. You know, a lot of times we talk about defining the gospel. Well, thankfully, the Apostle Paul tells, it, tells us very clearly what the gospel is. So clear that even children can understand this. 1 Corinthians 15, I believe it's in beginning in verse 3. This is what Paul says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, underline that. When an apostle says, this is of first importance, you might want to pay attention to that one. It doesn't mean everything else is unimportant. It just means this is right in the forefront. What's of utmost importance, Paul tells us, is this. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the good news. That's what we herald. That's what we proclaim. And notice the phrase there, according to the Scriptures. That means just like the Scripture we just started off with this morning in Isaiah 53. Jesus tells us this amazing thing. He says all those Scriptures, guess what? Point to Him. They all refer to Him. And here's the beautiful thing. If you're here this morning and you know Christ, you were included in Christ, the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, when you heard the gospel and by grace you believed it. That's when you were included in Christ. Ephesians 1.14. In other words, that's how we begin our Christian journey. That's the on-ramp to the road to eternal life. We turn from our sins, we trust in Him. We receive the free gift of forgiveness of sins and, but here's something we, we often miss, not only does Jesus take away our sins, but He gives us, listen, this is really incredible, He gives us His righteousness. That's credited to our account. Yes, for all you theologians out there, that's justification. It's where the judge, who by the way, is the Savior, says, not guilty. And it's because of what he has done for us on the cross that when we look up in despair because we see our sinfulness and expect to see a judge, instead, we see a Savior there. And instead of it being the throne of judgment, which it will be to many, it's the throne of grace for you and for me. 
Remember what the text said. His punishment brings us peace. So we begin the Christian life. We enter into a restored relationship with God through faith in the gospel. And that is the good news of Jesus' death and his resurrection on our behalf. Now listen, here's the thing, another thing we don't often uh, think about. We don't just repent of particular sins when we come to Christ, uh, like lying, you know, or lusting after someone that's not your spouse, or stealing, or hating others, or racism, or loving other things or people more than God. Listen, we also repent, and this is so vital to understand as believers, we also repent of trying to build our own righteousness before God. And that's a, a daily repentance, isn't it? Because constantly we're falling back to that self-righteousness. Instead, like uh, it's what our parents did, right? Remember our first parents, Adam and Eve? What's the first thing they did, pretty much, after they disobeyed? They got some fig leaves. And they thought somehow they were going to cover their nakedness. with the, and, and, and like the Southerners say, God said to them, bless your heart. Like that's going to do. You remember what the Lord did? He killed an animal and he clothed them for real. Again, remember Jesus said they all point to him, the scriptures? I pointed ahead to the righteousness that only God can give us in Christ. So that's why uh, the Apostle Paul who lived as a Pharisee by the law, he said that he didn't even count all of his attempts to live good and to earn a right standing with God. He compared that he, he, as dung compared to what? Compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In Philippians 3.9 he says this, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Brothers and sisters, that's why being a proud Christian is an oxymoron. How in the world can we be proud of something that we never earned on our own, but that we received as a free gift? Now, the interesting thing is the Bible tells us that we do brag as Christians. That's right. We can boast, and we should boast, but it's not ourselves. We don't boast about ourselves. Who do we boast about? We boast about our Lord Jesus and His greatness and His work of salvation on our behalf. As it is written... Let him who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. I hope you're bragging on Jesus. I hope you do a lot of bragging on Jesus. You remember that old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross? Some of you maybe. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. There's no power like the gospel. <laughs> The law can't make you do that. The gospel can. D.M. Stearns was preaching in Philadelphia. At the close of the service, a stranger came up to him and said, I don't like the way you spoke about the cross. I think that instead of emphasizing the death of Christ, it'd be far, far better for you to preach Jesus the teacher and the example. Stearns replied, if I presented Christ that way, would you be willing to follow him? 
I certainly would, said the stranger, without hesitation. All right, then, said the preacher. Let's take the first step. He did no sin. Can you claim that for yourself? The man looked confused and somewhat surprised, and he said, well, no, I acknowledge that I do sin. Stearns replied, then your greatest need is to have a Savior, not an example. Amen? Now, for many of you listening this morning, you might be wondering, uh, did I get the right place, the right message for the right place, right? This is not anything new to you, I would hope, at Mercy Hill. But it may not be new, but brothers and sisters, it's true. And we live in a world that's filled with lies, that's constantly contradicting the truth of the gospel. It's, it's this truth, by the way, not just any truth in general, but it's this truth, the truth of the gospel that Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. Now here's the thing, why, why I went through that little gospel presentation this morning. I lived 19 years on this planet in the United States of America in a religious community that had a crucifix everywhere before I finally heard the gospel of truth. I heard it the first time when I was 19 years old. Before someone finally told me about it plainly, clearly, and simply, and it came from the text we read this morning. Isaiah 53. It was the first time in my life I heard the concept of substitutionary atonement. The whole idea that my sins were placed on Him. Now the church I grew up in was a church that taught works righteousness. So when God opened my eyes to understand and believe the gospel of God's grace in Christ, I couldn't get enough of the truth of God's word. I devoured it. And let's just say I wasn't much of an intellectual before that. <laughs> like almost flunked out of high school. But I was reading like J.I. Packer, R.C. Sproul, James Montgomery Boy. Like I couldn't get enough. And of course the word itself. Now my friend who led me to Christ actually invited me to go with him to a small PCA church in Bricktown, New Jersey. I know Rick and Carol know all about that. That's right, thumbs up. And it was there that I heard the Bible preached clearly and, and very forcefully. And it's then that I heard God's voice and I knew this is the place I need to be. It was a little PCA church. And it was there that I grew in the gospel. I grew in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus. I, and then at that point in my life, I met believers from all different Bible-believing churches. Baptist, non-denominational, Episcopal, Pentecostal, and the list goes on and on. And over the years, I've reflected over the fact that, on the fact that God led my grandparents to come from Italy to America, so where the gospel had been preached for hundreds of years, so that I could hear the gospel clearly and come to know Christ by faith. And how humbling that is. And I'm deeply grateful to this day that he did. But I'm also grateful that the 15 million others or so who are Italian-American have the same opportunity to hear the gospel that I did here in this country. That's grace. But I've been asking myself over the last decade or so, what about the 60 million still left in the old country? Where about only 1% 
of all of Italy identify as evangelical Christians. 1%. And among that 1%, there's some pretty strange teaching going on in there in some of those places that's unhealthy and unsound. And if by some miracle of God's grace, they do hear the gospel, they do believe, the real question is, where do they go to church so they could be rooted and grounded in the gospel? See, when I got saved, there were dozens of Bible-believing churches within a 20-minute, 30-minute drive. Where the work is in Salerno, where hopefully we are heading, that's the only church like that for miles. So that's why we couldn't help but feel the tug on our hearts over the last decade or so to take all the gospel living that Mary and I have had over three, four decades, all, all that's been poured into us of gospel training, where they don't have the resources that we have here. Because the gospel, listen, this is important to understand this, the gospel is the only way to begin the Christian life. It's the only way. There's not other alternatives. It's the only on-ramp to the road that leads to life. No matter what your ethnic background, no matter where you live, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but what? By me. See, people in our culture don't mind the first part. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Oh yeah, Jesus is the way, but no man comes to the Father but by me. Oh, now wait a minute. But it's the truth. And that's only my first point, and I only have one other point this morning. And it's a powerful point that's just as life-changing and transforming as my first point, once you really get it. And this second point is for us believers in particular. And this is the point. The gospel's not only the only way to begin the Christian life, but listen, I want you to, to really hear this. The gospel's also the only way to progress in the Christian life. It's the only way to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thus, the reason why we are so into church planning. Church planning in AC, church planning in Gloucester County, church planning in Italy, it's vital. Because once somebody hears the gospel of God's grace, repents and believes the good news, they need a community of faith where they could grow. They need a church that, listen, applies the gospel not only to initial salvation, but to making progress in the Christian life, to applying that gospel to every aspect of our lives, to our families, to our communities, to every aspect of our being, emotional, intellectual, the will. Pastor Tim Keller likes to put it this way. The gospel's not just the ABCs of the Christian life, it's the A to Z of the Christian life. In other words, we don't begin with the good news of Jesus and then advance to something else. The gospel is the very thing that enables us to become more and more like Jesus, the one who loved us and gave himself for us from day to day. To live for him for day to day, from day to day. Now think about it this way. Virtually every New Testament epistle was written to address false teaching that pitches some type of Jesus plus message. All those epistles were written to believers, written to churches. Churches that were beginning to lose their way and drift away from what? The gospel. 
And here's the bad news. If you drift away from the gospel, guess what that means? You're drifting away from God. Because the gospel is your only connection to the one true God. So think about it this way. Galatians is what? People were teaching the gospel plus circumcision and obedience to the law. Colossians, the, uh, Jewish mysticism, the gospel plus Jewish mysticism and empty human philosophy based on human regulations. Hebrews, Jesus plus the law and angelical messengers. 1 Timothy, Jesus plus asceticism, that's refraining from lawful pleasures like eating food or marrying. Now you know that gospel ain't going to work in Italy. You know what I'm saying? Try to tell them we can't eat certain food. Yeah. <laughs> No, thank God, that's not the gospel. One more quote from Keller. He says, only as the gospel is applied more and more deeply and radically, only as we think out all its truth does it bear fruit and grow. So the key to continual and deeper spiritual renewal and revival is the continual rediscovery of the gospel. All of our problems come from a failure to apply the gospel. This is true for a community or an individual. All right, so let me meddle a little bit now. I'm going to give a couple examples of how the gospel itself helps us to grow in God's grace and de deals with our sin issues and our struggles. So let's say you're struggling with giving generously to those in need, sometimes even uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. Well, the wealthy ancient Corinthians struggle with this. They promised with their mouth stuff, and they didn't write the check about helping the poor church in Jerusalem. And so Paul writes to them, and he says, shame on you. No, that's not how he did it. This is what Paul writes. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's how the gospel applies when we're being tight-fisted and closed-hearted. We go back to the gospel and we remember Jesus emptied himself. He became poor so we could become rich. Now maybe you're wrestling with forgiving a brother or sister. Okay, <laughs> now somebody, I, I know most of us here are going to relate to this one. Who doesn't struggle with forgiveness on some level? At least forgiving others. This is what Paul writes. This is how he applies the gospel when we struggle as believers to forgive. He says, be, uh, Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Can you say atom bomb? <laughs> how did God in Christ forgive you if you're a believer? Well, the story's told of a son who left home to live a life of sin. I can relate to this, unfortunately. When his own way, he lived a life of debauchery, dragging his family name in the mud for quite some time. After a number of years, his sinful lifestyle had caught up with him, and he was tired of his life of sin. So he made a phone call home. There was no answer, so he left a voicemail. He left this message. Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. I know I've hurt you and I've made a mess of my life. I also know that you don't owe me anything. I want to come home. If I'm welcome home, please just hang a white cloth on the porch. 
If I don't see one, I will respect your wishes and I will go my way. As the man approached his old home, he couldn't believe his eyes. White sheets were hanging everywhere from the front porch, the trees, out the windows. Is that not how God forgave you? Did he not say as far as the east is from the west, so have, how far have I removed your transgressions? Or how about my favorite one? He hurled them into the depths of the sea. And as I always say, that explains why those creatures are so ugly, man. You ever see those things in the bottom of the sea? Mamma me. That's because they're hanging out with all our sins that have been dredged down there. I see you crying, so I had to like stop, you know, do something a little lighthearted. But. The point is, we of all people have that power now to forgive others. We can, we've been released. We can let them go. We can let them go to God and say, I forgive you. I'll take the hit. Now, I don't have time this morning to explain how the gospel addresses all of our sins and difficulty, difficulties, obviously. But I do want to say this, whether it's growing in sexual purity, devotion to God, love for others, fleeing worldliness and growing in godliness, evangelizing the lost, serving the poor, the answer is not to try harder or be more religious. But of course, it's also not to just give up since we'll never be perfect in this life. So, you know, some people misquote our Lord's words and say, ah, the poor you'll always have with you. I'm always baffled by that one. You think what Jesus is saying, ah, there's too many of them, don't even bother. I think not. But that's for another day. Maybe I'll come back and preach that sermon. But the point is, of course, we don't give up, nor do we try harder and put our back into it. No, the answer is what? To keep believing the good news of Jesus. To keep falling before his throne, right? Let us come to the throne of grace that we might find what? Mercy and help to help, to help us. And grace to help us in our time of what? Need. Remember how you began the Christian life? Hopefully, you acknowledged your sin and inability and you trusted in what in Christ's mercy shown to us in the cross. Well, guess what? When we sin and when we fall as believers, guess what we got to do? You know what I love at the Psalm 119? We sang it earlier, didn't we? I obey your law. I love your law. Your law is great. Can I get an amen? amen. You know what the last verse of that psalm is? Seek your servant, for I have strayed like a lost sheep. <laughs> After all that, King David admits, I messed up. Of course we love the law but unfortunately the best of us can't keep it perfectly i haven't met one yet and i have a lot of men and women in the faith that i totally admire that i feel are way further along than i am in their sanctification but they're not even close to the mark of jesus see here's the issue we can be merciful knowing that we've received such mercy in jesus we can extend grace because we know how much grace God extends to us in Christ on a daily basis. 
we can love more freely, more extravagantly, having experienced and continue to experience the everlasting, relentless, extravagant love of Jesus in the gospel. Blue is the color of a heart so cold that does not bend when the story's told of the love of God for a sinful race, of the blood that flowed down Jesus' face. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Brothers and sisters, we need more churches everywhere, but especially in those places that don't have clear gospel witnesses that teach that truth clearly, unabashedly, no strings attached. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's pray. Lord, we say, along with our brother, the Apostle Paul, that we are crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live. It's Christ who lives in us. But the life we live in the body, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, may your gospel in our hearts through Jesus continue to propel us forward to grow in your grace and your knowledge. And Lord, in your mercy, in this mixed up, confused, crazy world we live in today, the modern world, Lord, enable us through the power of your Holy Spirit to plant more and more churches that hold forth the light of the gospel. And not only preach it, Lord, but churches that live it by your grace. Lord, we pray for Mercy Hill and we thank you that, yes, uh, Phil and, and everyone else involved humanly speaking, did such hard work to plant this church, but we acknowledge, Lord, you planted it by your grace and by your mercy. And we pray that it will be a light and a dark place for many, many years to come. Oh, Lord, bless your people here because we are hiding in the cleft in the rock in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Thank you so much for having me, and I um, hope you, some of you can stay afterwards uh, for a presentation. So. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.mercyhillnj.org. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Church House, located at 300 University Boulevard in Glassboro, off of Harvard Avenue adjacent to the J. Harvey Rogers School and near Rowan University. We'd love for you to join us. Please see our website for directions. Thank you again for listening to the Mercy Hill Sermon Podcast.